You know, delivering excellence is more than just 18 wheels moving products around the country. Trucking is complex, and its people are passionate. Accommodating a diverse driving workforce, ever-changing regulations, supply chain demands, and new technologies all present their own challenges, but in trucking, the creative and the innovative succeed. Let's understand the people that drive and support the trucking industry, and welcome to Garner Trucking's Beyond the Cab. Hello and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cab. Uh, today I have a couple of guests from all over the all over the country at this point. We've got some pretty unique stuff to talk about today in regards to technology, training, and our next generation. So with me today we're from uh, the next generation of trucking, our president and co-founder, uh, Lindsay Trent. Lindsay, thanks for joining. Hey, I'm glad to be here. And also the CEO of Beyond Trucks, Hans Gilland. Hi, thanks for having me, Tim. So glad. Thank to you both here. for taking the time to uh, to uh, speak with me today. Um, I'd like to, before we get started on on the, the content, love to hear a little bit about each one of your backgrounds. So, Lindsay, if maybe we could get started with you. Yeah. So, um, in terms of my trucking background. I've been in trucking about 12 years and I really knew nothing about the industry before I got into it, but was looking to get back into a sales job. And I got a job doing driver staffing. And at that time, I really fell in love with the industry for the people. Um, and then another industry or another reason I fell in love with the industry was because of the fact that it touches every other industry. So one day I would be at a granite warehouse, the next day a lumber yard, and then a, a packaging company. And it was just really neat um, to see all other industries. And they had one thing in common, they needed trucking to ship in and ship out supplies. And so um, that was my start. And then I worked for Ryder, um, after I worked for driver staffing. <clears throat> and then within that, I started the Next Generation and Trucking Association just because every day I had so many conversations about the workforce shortages and the need for young people to get into the industry, the aging workforce. And um, I think that Next Gen, we've come up with a cohesive solution to help really form and shape the next generation to steer them towards careers in the trucking industry. I just recently got back from uh, Truckload Carriers Association safety meeting. We were talking a little bit before we uh, before we started the, uh, the the real conversation here today, and um, I I thought it was interesting that uh, there are there is a pilot program um, right now for eighteen to twenty one year olds. Uh, there are unfortunately only about sixteen carriers that are participating in the program. They're looking for about 3,000 drivers ultimately to go through this program and statistically get, get, get the information that the government's after uh, to be able to prove that I, what I believe all along is that that 18 to 21 year old is completely capable of driving a tractor trailer under the right circumstances with the right training and the right equipment. It's that simple. Um, so a program like Next Generation Trucking really um, kind of embodies that that thought process and, and truly what I'm feeling and starts from 
uh, very organically from a younger age to try and get some interest for the trucking industry. Um, and I think uh, in retrospect, knowing you for the last couple of years and watching what you've been able to do with the organization, just amazing things, amazing, amazing reach. I see you everywhere. Uh, so, you know, you're having impact on the on the industry, which I think is tremendously important. Yeah, I appreciate that. And the fun part, too, is really making an impact within education and getting to see the aha moments where educators are saying, oh, you know, I never thought about trucking in the supply chain. And I didn't realize there were so many jobs and they paid so well. And maybe this is a good industry to start getting young people interested in. And so a lot of good things and momentum is happening. And we are really excited about what we're doing every day. It's, it's so rewarding just to be a part of helping young people find good jobs. And I think that we in the trucking industry have good jobs. I absolutely agree with that. Also joining us today, Hans Galland. Uh, Hans, tell me a little bit about Beyond Trucks. I've, I've had the good fortune here for about the last year or so to get to know you a little bit. Uh, you've stopped by the office a few times and, and we've had some great conversations. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your situation, you, wh- how, you, how it came to be Beyond Trucks, what brought did, you here? How did it happen? Yeah. So how Beyond Trucks, yeah. How did it happen? Why? Yeah. And why? Um, I think the why is very fundamental of who we are as a founding team and as people. And um, I think very similar to Lindsay, what connects us to Lindsay is that we, is impact. Um, we have been driven from day one by, by the hope that even though we didn't grow up in trucking, um, we hope that we can help and help uh, trucking develop and evolve and flourish uh, with our um, expertise and our knowledge. And so um, what I've learned very early in my career, my first job at the age of 15 uh, was actually in a tool factory. My second job at the age of 16, 17, and 18 until later in my career was in, in hotels and restaurants. So I've always started um, at the ground floor. Um, so the first thing that we did when we started to work in trucking is actually we got truck driver jobs. Uh, I publicly admit that this was the first time we had to lie on our resumes to get a truck driver job. <laughs> we had actually had to delete degrees from our resumes. And so both my co-founder Paul and I, we got driver jobs. Um, we drove for a little while. We, uh, we didn't drive for as much as we probably need to be good qualified drivers at all. But we, un- we start to understand what it means to be um, the most important and valuable asset in a trucking company, and that's the driver. Uh, we worked in dispatch. We started building a trucking company. Um, but that was really fundamental for us to understand the challenges that people um, face uh, in their jobs, in their work life. And um, then we went back to where we had been trained more recently in, and, and that was really very advanced technology, anything from artificial intelligence uh, automation technology, software, and finance. And then we put all the pieces together and started building Beyond Trucks as a, as a, as a platform that can help carriers really become, um, we call it digitally native, really become deeply digital and streamlined as a result of how they work. 
and never forgetting the, the most important part of the carrier, that's the, the people, the people in the carrier. So how we do we make people in, in a carrier more productive, happier, uh, and more fulfilled in their roles with technology? That's really at the core of the impact that we want to create with the company. I, I think one of the interesting things about Beyond Trucks is, is exactly the last point that you had made in that um, from, from the standpoint of, of workflow specifically, uh, you know, a, a lot of us uh, that are out and driving don't get an opportunity to kind of see behind the curtain of what has to happen in order to make that uh, all go. And those folks are just as important. Uh, and it, it, it becomes challenging at times when you're, when you're purchasing systems that are, you know, straight out of a box and you have to kind of conform your, um, your workload and your w- workload and workflow to that out of the box product. Whereas the beyond trucks approach is just a bit different and, and looks at the workflow itself first and, and builds design based on that. So I, I, I think it incredibly important, especially as we get further down the pike of, uh, the digital world, as you're pointing out, Lindsay, what would you say uh, is the most important, uh, the most important thing to the next generation coming into the workforce? Wow, um, you know, I think that Gen Z, they they have some things that are definitely really important to them, but I think one of the main things is that they want to be. Um, they want to be just known as a person. They actually want to have an impact. They want to work for a company that has social impact, that cares about the environment, that cares about technology. And they want to work for a company where they're not just a number, but for a company that cares about them as a person, cares about their family. And it's not always about the bottom dollar. It's just, it's about um, making a contribution to society. Um, and And I really think that the quicker that we see that and start really showcasing how we do that as companies, the better off we're gonna be in attracting this generation. It's, it, it certainly is a challenge, I think, you know, as, as an industry, as you pointed out, we're necessary uh, in every segment of everything that you purchase at some point in time. It's, it's on a truck. And so um, making that extension and that connection to the driver, that next generation driver, to say, hey, you are valuable, you are important, you are having an actual impact on uh, local econ- economy, global economy. Um, and, and making that tie together, I think is a good thing. Do you, um, Hans, from your perspective, uh, that technology that we, we were talking about, that digital side of things, obviously the next generation is fully prepared to handle that, most of which born with a cell phone in their hand mm-hmm. at this point. Um, but there is a definite, uh, a, a definite generational set of gaps and that technology is moving so fast now. We still have many individuals that are that are in the industry that can remember um, logging on paper, uh, that can remember how to uh, plan a trip using an atlas, uh, that can remember they had to dial a phone when they stopped somewhere and, and, and use a, a pay phone. Um, what would you say, or, or would you say that there's a divide there between uh, that old generation and newer generations in terms of 
uh, technology? Or do you think we're coming closer together because we're all kind of forced into the same, uh, we're, we're living in the same world? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, Tim. Um, I do think that technology is to blame for some of the issues we have um, in the sense that it actually, a lot of technology today doesn't fit or help with some of the, the, the communication challenges. It's not necessarily designed to be the most user-friendly or um, friendly to the, to the human, the, the operator. Um, we most recently went live with a, with a customer in a, a very, you know, very rural area where we had very big concerns that the drivers would actually not move off flip phones or not even want to have a phone. But when we showed the difference of how it makes their life easier, they actually really loved it. Uh, and so, so I think a part of the problem in this divide uh, between generations is that the product hasn't been built to make life easier. And I think we're seeing a, a lot of change on that front. We're seeing it with some of the ELDs that are super easy, user-friendly, and we see it with some of the other providers. So I think part of it is technology to blame. And you know, if, if um, um, Gen Zs come into a company and they're used to run their daily lives on an iPhone that's super user-friendly and they see something that's less user-friendly, they may be a little surprised, <laughs> right? So a little bit of that is, is product design. But I also do think there is the interesting phenomenon that we sometimes see that just work and life has become very different, right? Previously, you could just sign off from work and you're done. You leave the office and you're done. And today, a lot of the people who have been growing up with a phone just never stop working, right? right. They never stop. And sometimes we see some of the conflicts really around how, how do I work? How do I in interact with my environment? And, and that's more, a, more, it's worth a conversation. It's, it's sometimes we don't really realize that the way we used to work creates certain expectations that we always have to be in the office. Uh, and other people just work from home, right? So I think there's also a shift in in how we work, um, and uh, that creates some of the friction. Lindsay, would you say uh, that there's a level of surprise or shock uh, for that next generation in terms of the technology that trucking's using today? Um, uh, uh, any experiences there or, or feedback from, from that younger generation? Yeah, well, I think... Um, in terms of within the truck and under the hood of a truck, I think that they're very surprised when they see how comfortable a truck can be, the technology. Um, we have it in our cars, but they don't necessarily realize that trucks have it too. The um, lane mitigation and collision avoidance and um, just being able to have those types of things in a truck is surprising to them. Um, most of them have never seen the the inside of a bunk. And so just seeing that it's like a tiny house on wheels is something that is um, pretty impressive. The other thing is, is one thing that we are trying to encourage companies to do is to reach out to their local school districts and have them come on site and do a field trip. I was a part of a field trip this past year, um, probably just two months ago with Packard Parts, and they have a brand new distribution center in Louisville, Kentucky, and they 
we brought in about 50 automotive technology high school students. So these are students that uh, want to work with their hands. Um, and the teacher that is their teacher, he had never been inside a working warehouse and distribution center. Mm. And so if they don't know what's behind the walls, then they're not going to see how exciting a warehouse space can be and how technology, how technological advanced they are. Um, it's impressive, but they have no idea from the outside. It almost looks like it could be a prison, right? It's a little scary. Right. So we need to bring them and invite them inside to our world so that it is less intimidating. And when they are ready to graduate, they can say, you know what? I saw a little bit of that world and I want to, I want to explore more about maybe me being involved in that. I, I think uh, I think you illustrate a great point. One of the things that I may may sometimes take for granted, but have been have had the fortune of doing is a lot of times when you do a customer visit, getting a chance to really kind of see the nuts and bolts or behind the curtain of what's going on uh, at that facility. And I, I recall several years ago now, we went to one customer that actually had uh, automated uh, forklifts. So mm -hmm. there's, you know, there, the, the, basically the tracking for it, uh, the, the communication that actually ran under the concrete. There was no one actually even handling the, the forklift at all. And it would know where to go, where to pick up the freight, move it to another portion of the, the, the warehouse, get it out of line or, or move it to wherever it needed to go. And again, no human interaction at all with that particular piece. It, something you would have never seen if, you know, you weren't there to see it for yourself type thing. So uh, those those types of technologies have existed for years and years, but you know, for for most of us, we never get an opportunity to even understand what that actually means. And like you said, how exciting a, a warehouse can be, which sounds weird on the on the surface, but you're absolutely right. That does sound weird, but it is exciting, and it mm -hmm. is something that young people are excited about and interested in is technology. And it's, well, I think it's very, it's also fascinating when you see it from, 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 you know, the technology side, we interview people who think it's absolutely cool to be a data scientist in a trucking company. Like how cool is that? Right. right. And, and sometimes, um, you know, when we look at from the trucking company inside out, it may seem like a stretch, but there's a lot of people in technology and math and data science who really think it is fascinating to, to really have an impact with their their craft on, on, on an operating business like a, a carrier. So we see the other side of that too. And there's so many cool, cool careers that, that exist in the industry that maybe previously didn't exist, but nowadays will exist going forward. Yeah. Well, and uh, Hans, he gave me some definitions. Um, we're going to be at the end of the month at the Technology Student Association. So they are students, high school students that are wanting to be engineers and technology in the technology field. And so we are going to be there representing trucking um, within the space of technology, data scientists, engineers, product testing engineers, because if you talk to most kids who want to be an engineer, they have no idea that they can be an engineer in the trucking industry and help develop the technology within the truck, on the outside of the truck, within the supply chain. So we have to be able to have trucking as a career brand out there in this space. Absolutely right. I think even, not that this is a simple thing, but uh, just a few years ago, 
um, we had decided to hire an intern for the, for the summer to help us part-time for uh, doing a little bit of so- social media work for us. Um, after, after that time frame was over, we realized uh, we couldn't live without her. And so <laughs> we ended up creating a full, full-time job for something we didn't even have before, but it's very necessary now. So to your point, I mean, those things, as, as time goes on, the things that uh, maybe you didn't need 20, 30 years ago, you absolutely need today. What do you think that the training looks like uh, for the next generation when you talk about trainers, mentors, and for the individual being trained? Well, one thing I can tell you is that there are 10,000 baby boomers a day that are retiring. That's a big number. Massive. Massive. And conversely, only 57% of boomers have shared even half of their knowledge to the younger people that work um, below them. And so we have got to make a concerted effort for baby boomers to share that knowledge before they leave, before they retire, they have so much wealth of things to give. And we need to be inviting baby boomers into the space of mentoring and helping and teaching um, before we lose all of their knowledge and experience. I think um, you bring up a great point. And we, in, in previous conversations, like sharing some of the um, the struggles, you know, with our organization, we've had some retirement that's happened over the last year and a half. And, and you start to kind of take a look around you, especially, you know, I'm accustomed to, you know, seeing the same people every day and, and having great experiences and great relationships with those folks. And uh, again, over the last year and a half, you just watched this, this kind of migration away from, from working and enjoying retirement, fruits of labor, which is what we all look forward to. And, uh, you know, as I look at that, I'm looking at myself and thinking, okay, uh, I'm, you know, kind of last man standing or pretty close to it in terms of tribal knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized um, about a year ago that the kind of the gravity of what that really means is I, I only have so long to be able to convey those, those things to everyone else that's going to uh, continue, you know, holding the torch and continue to move things forward. So to your point, I, I, I absolutely agree with that statement, that, that tribal knowledge that, that exists here, the cuts, the dents, the dings, that we all go through, you've got to be able to pass that on. Hans, yeah. what, do you, what do you see from your end as far as uh, uh, training and, and uh, maybe the technology that, that, that could help bring us there? Yeah, I actually think that how we look at um, experience and knowledge will radically change over the next couple of years. Um, so I think we, what, what we've seen um, with artificial intelligence is that things that can be easily learned from existing text or data can be easily replicated. So when some people have you know, seen ChatGPT or some of the new tools, how good they've become in creating text. It's amazing. And they just literally just learn from other texts and how to write a good text. But it kind of makes you question, why did I go to elementary school or even junior, <laughs> junior high, right? It's like, why did I spend so much time? So that, that part is, is probably going to change quite a bit in how we learn about, uh, for instance, writing. Um, I think what also is going to change gradually is how do we make better decisions? And that's part of the tribal knowledge where we spend a lot of time on is how do I how do I dispatch a truck that makes the maximum amount of money 
uh, for the company. And the human brain is pretty good at that, but sometimes math can be more powerful. So we probably see some of the tribal knowledge be replaced or improved uh, with, with math, um, and that's optimization. So optimization can actually be quite powerful. There's still, though, a part of tribal knowledge that will be impossible over the next probably couple of decades to replace, and that goes back to um, wisdom, judgment, creativity, um, you know, uh, common sense. Common sense is one of the most difficult things to replace with artificial intelligence, believe it or not. It's, so, it's not so common. That's it's not so common. <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, there may be a great outcome for a, for a dispatch route, but you still need a human being making sure that this is actually viable and makes sense. It may not make sense. It may make sense to the algorithm, but it may not make sense to it now. So what we're describing is the importance of the retiring generation passing on tribal knowledge, passing on experience, judgment, creativity, uh, all of these things is super, super critical. And I think we need to find a better way for this to happen um, and, and to build that dialogue. So mentorship is, is a great way of doing that. Um, and, and, and I think all people retire you know, increasingly early, right? So, uh, but everyone wants to have a third, fourth, fifth, sixth career. So how, how are we doing that? And I think there's great opportunities in trucking to pass that on. Lindsay, do you believe that um, the next generation wants or values that tribal knowledge? In, 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 in the way that it's communicated, maybe that's a part of whether mm -hmm. they want it or don't. But um, I think it's an interesting point, an interesting question. Yeah, I think that just what you said, and it's the way of communicating it, right? They don't want to be talked down to and they want to have a voice. And so the best way to be able to pass down tribal knowledge is not just a one-sided conversation if I'm teaching you this and this is what you should do this is how I've done it. This is what you need to do. But it's, it's a more of a two-way conversation. And so they want their opinions valued and they want to be known. So maybe it is going in there and saying, talking about something and asking their opinion about it or what they would do. And then saying what you've done in the past and making it more of a conversation um, and wanting to know who they are and what they do and passing it along like that, as opposed to just saying, this is what we do. This is why this is who we are. It needs to be a conversation. Do you find that the next generation has value in the why of the, of the situation, the explanation behind why we make this decision or do things this way? I think to understand they value the why they want to know the reason. And that's why it's important for them to know the why. Hans, what do you think technology looks like given, let's say another 15 years? What, what's the, what's the future look like? Yeah. I, I highlighted it a little bit earlier in saying that I think there's somewhat menial tasks that we've wasting a lot of time with today, menial, right? Repetitive manual work that, uh, probably we can we can get away with uh, do away with and uh, there is some 
some improvement work, some optimization work that we can leverage technology for. So lane keeping in, in the cab, it would be a kind of lane keeping, right? Making sure that you're staying within within the lane and not deviating from it is one example of some a very simple optimization task. Or it could be what's the best combination of loads to get the maximum profit for my for my for my carrier, for my fleet. Um, so these are optimization tasks that will become much better. Um, I think the limits will still be around how do we become more creative? How do we make better decisions? Um, how, how do we um, deal with each other? I think the human aspect is one part is we still want to work together in a company and be happy people. The human aspect will be so much more important. And I think the people who really succeed are either the very, very technically savvy people. I mean, computer scientists, data scientists, uh, and then the people who are really, really good with people. Um, I think that's what, what I foresee how um, we will fit into uh, kind of the divide between technology and people. And it's going to be different, but I, I actually think it's going to be very exciting because hopefully we all can focus more on things that are more fulfilling than processing paperwork. <laughs> right. Pushing, moving papers around, those types of things. Um, so how does trucking prepare for these changes in technology in these this, this next 10 to 15 years? What what can we do to kind of fortify and be ready? Oh, that's open-ended. That's open-ended. Hans' question. I can start. I think um, one thing is we should define the problems we want to solve. Uh, sometimes we, we worry too much about solutions, and maybe that's also for, for the both the next generation who's entering trucking, but also the... Um, the retiring generation that has lots of tribal knowledge. Usually when we talk about finding, uh, look, about problems, we all agree what the problems are, but then how we come to the solutions, then the next generation may have very, very creative ways of dealing uh, with the problems today. And they may find shortcuts that the retiring generation never thought about. So I think what's really important is kind of to gather around problem areas that we want to solve um, and then find creative ways that the old ways and the new ways all may have valid points to, to solve them. And I think that's probably the best way to, to, to get ready for the future is focus on the problems and start, start, start cranking, solving them. Lindsay, would you say that you have uh, any particular individual or moment that stands out so far with that next generation in terms of the success story of, of kind of your adventure so far? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And there's so many success stories. I could just tell you from week to week, to be honest. Um, one of the things that really got me interested in starting the Next Generation and Trucking Association was being on my local high school advisory board. They We started a diesel tech program four years ago, and um, I got to help start that. And it was really fun to be a part of. I'm still a part of it today. I go to all the advisory board meetings. And one of the things that is just so inspiring to me, um, the teacher, he said, you know, my students, when they graduate, 
they're going to go out because they, they do diesel tech here at our school and for four years. So they start as a freshman and they're really learning lots of aspects of being a diesel technician during, during school, half the day in class for um, diesel technology. And by the end of their high school, they're doing work study. They're ready to go and work when they graduate. And in this particular area of town, um, the teacher says, you know, most of their parents don't even make the amount combined that they're going to start off making. So what we created for the industry has quickly morphed into, well, we're doing this because we want to help better young people's lives through these great careers that we can offer in the trucking industry. When they learn in high school that they can become a diesel technician or they're learning about being a professional driver and they can go into the workforce and make a, a living wage, we are literally changing somebody's family tree that might not have that happened for them and that might start going down the wrong road. We've also seen in Dave's program, um, and Dave, he's the co-founder of NextGen at Patterson High School in California. He teaches a high school trucking program. Think of like intro, introductory trucking. Well, one of his first graduates um, who is now an owner operator in California. And he is a, um, he was involved in a gang when he was in high school and out of his 10 best friends, um, four of them are in prison due to gang violence. Two of them are deceased. And he is one of the lucky ones that got out and he got out because of this trucking program that he started as a senior and he actually found something he was good at. He could see a future for himself. And so it's about creating these opportunities for these young people to be able to turn their life around and get them connected to a good career and creating these training opportunities for them within schools. We do uh, a little bit of work here locally. We've got a school literally right down the road, um, just uh, maybe a mile or so. And um we're given an opportunity to come into the classroom and typically I'll take our, our maintenance director, uh, myself, and we'll go down and just talk a little bit about trucking. He'll handle the tech side of things and I handle um, kind of the rest of it, the, the driving experience and the office environment. And, um, you know, it's one of the things you were pointing out is the money that you can make, um, you know, especially when you talk about driving or, or, or diesel tech. That, you know, if you if you come out of high school and decide that you're going to go make widgets, which we need those individuals in the world. Uh, but the price tag for those two jobs is, is significantly different. And it didn't take four years to be able to to get to that point, to be able to achieve that that kind of financial gain. And to to that end, I know it's one of the things that brought me into trucking was uh, I saw the opportunity for a better financial future for myself and for my family. And uh, those types of things really matter. But sometimes when you can put them in front of someone that, that, that maybe isn't in the best situation, as you're pointing out with a, a gentleman that's, that's starting out his life in a gang and, and losing, losing uh, friends and, and uh, either to jail or to, to uh, end of life situations, that's an amazing story, a really amazing story. The, uh, the other day we had some conversation just kind of in preparation for, for the for the. Uh, podcast. And uh, one of the things that Hans that you had said is only a human can drive customer service. And that that kind of stayed with me. Um, 
what what drives a statement like that? Maybe more importantly, why will customer service continue to be so important? Yeah, it's a, a fascinating question. One of the things I shared with you at that time and I'd like to share again is, so my, my college, I was trained in the hospitality sectors and restaurants and, and, and hotels. And my college um, had a board meeting recently and they were discussing exactly this issue is what, how should we prepare the next generation of talent to be trained well to be in a customer service function? And restaurants, in most cases, you know, have a significant customer service function. So do I have hotels. And they, they, they decided that that's probably the most significant thing to train people on um, going forward. And it's not to train everyone to become a computer scientist and code. It's actually to, to make sure people are functional people and excel at anticipating customer expectations, be strong communicators. And so, so that was a board level decision at a, you know, a, a, a large college that made the decision to focus people on that. And one of the, one of the things they, they focus on as well is something that I always see at Garner is culture. How do you build a great culture in, in a company culture that is welcoming, respectful, and makes you want to treat your customer as well as you treat each other and even better, right? So I think culture is so important when, when we think of how we deal with each other, how we deal with each other in a company, and how, what, how we set the tone. And I think at Garner, that's, that's really what, whenever I come, come to, to Tim's office, I would say, hey, I actually want to work here. No <laughs> <laughs> kidding. And and, and that, that's some of the magic that happens with people. And it starts from within and stuff from with us within us in the culture we create in a company in an industry. And and as Lindsay said, the trucking industry is one you fall in love with for that. It's very unique. Um, it's very, very unique. And and I think it's upon us to to keep it up. And it's up yeah. on Lindsay and her work and Tim and your work to, to make sure we, we create great customer service. Yeah. And it's not about just creating that culture, but it's also about community communicating the culture to draw people in. So yes. when a Gen Zer is looking on your website or looking on your social media um, to look for a job, they want to see the culture to say, am I going to fit in that with that culture? And that's why I think it's really important to have real life people who are within your company representing who you are in your culture. So you have to communicate that to people to attract them to your positions. I, I think it's uh, we kind of started the conversation, Lindsay, with um, you know, that what, what that next generation really wants out of an employer. And some of the things that you had to say immediately, my mind starts firing at certain individuals that work for Garner uh, and, and, and what some of the things that they will pour their hearts into that are, you know, above and beyond the regular work day. Um, we've got, you know, some special functions that we do where we're very involved with Reese Across America uh, we have an annual uh, bike run that we do coming up here in a few weeks. And um, I'll watch certain members that just get all fired up over over that particular event. And again, it's above and beyond. There's no pay extra, anything, but they're just on fire for the event. And they, they want to be passionate and want to do the work. 
And if you allow that to happen um, with whatever they're passionate about, you really see the fruits and the, and the, the, the beautiful results that could come out of that. But you've got to be able to embrace that and be okay with the fact that we're going to let this individual take the lead that maybe doesn't have the years of experience or has a, a title in the name or whatever the case may be to, to take the reins and they will do incredible, incredible things. Lindsay and Hans, I want to thank both of you today for, for taking some time and, and uh, talking with me. I think, again, a, po uh, a topic I'm very passionate about is the next generation uh, and how we're going to get there as an industry. Um, and I think it takes both people and it takes technology. And I think I have two experts on, on the subject and, and just appreciate the valuable time that you've given me today. So thank you. Thank you. It's been great. Thank to Thanks for having us, Tim. This has been another edition of Beyond the Cap.